Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio.
fellow Belizeans, my fellow listeners all over the world, especially those in the diaspora and in the motherland. Um, I'm really excited to be uh, live from Belize, and um, I'm really excited also about the guests that I have coming on. But before I get into that, I want to greet everyone in the name of peace, peace, which is a universal greetings from all the prophets, from Adam to Muhammad. And now we're still looking for that universal peace that the world can't seem to give. Um, Last week, I wasn't able to uh, do the show because of logistics, but I had my good uh, associate, uh, Derek Estrada, a.k.a. Nuri Akbar, and Bilal Morris subbed in for me, and they did an excellent job um, to do a tribute to the late Burt Tucker. And I just want to say something before I introduce my guest, because this is, what, this is one of the issues that, I, that really, really gets to me, because... We, we have some really brilliant Belizean minds all over the diaspora, and in Belize as well, but, in the, but Belize in general, but the diaspora in particular. And um, we don't appreciate them the way that we need to. Look at this brother here, Bert Tucker. He was one of the preeminent economists in the Caribbean. He worked with Manly. He worked uh, in Namibia, in Africa, with virology in Ghana. This guy was internationally renowned as far as his... Um, his, his enlightened thinking was concerned and his level of consciousness that, that, uh, that was unprecedented. Yet and still, when he, when, when he tried to work with Belizeans, I remember when I met him about 20 years ago, um, 20, or, 20 or 25 years ago in the 80s, um, I was a young guy then. You know, he, he, he was, at, the, at that time, you know, pushing the idea of called TOTKIN, which is the transfer of know-how through expatriate nationals through the UNDP, United Nations Development uh, Program. And the idea that, that we can transfer expatriate know-how back to the motherland to benefit the, the, the development of the economic and social development of our nation. And do you realize that the kind of static fighting and hostility that these ideas or the idea of people you know, taking know-how back, transferring know-how back to Belize, uh, it, was met with, it wasn't met with any, any kind of uh, open arms. And so one has to wonder... One has to wonder about Belize in terms of do we really want to, to, to stay in a, 
static state of development where we're just go, essentially chasing our tail and we don't challenge the validity of the status quo. We just accept everything and, 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 and don't want to question why we are where we are and what we're doing and how we're doing it. Or we, do we really want to embrace the diaspora, embrace those minds, that, those brilliant minds, all the way going back to Samuel Haynes, who, who wrote the National Anthem, and, and many others. Uh, Bert Tucker, a brother who, you know, who, who loved Belize relentlessly and only wanted to see the, the, you know, the economic well-being of the country for the good of it, for all Belizeans, not for a selected few or for um, you know, the government playing yeah, you know, as a gatekeeper and deciding who gets what and who and who you know who allocate resources based on uh, nepotism, cronyism, and the minions who pay homage to their shrine. So um, I'm very certain that he has passed. But another brother who we're bringing on is Dr. Bernard Boa. This brother here, he's um, I mean, he's he's in a league of his own in terms of his in terms of his enlightened think, thinking as it relates to belief and his worldview and the diaspora. He, you know, he's one of the leading fellow at Harvard, you know, in, in research, in scientific research for, for heart, for the, for, to, to, to find better ways to make the heart healthy. And one of the things I like about Bernard, let me just tell you something. Bernard is a friend of mine from when we were kids, from primary school, Queen Square Anglican. We both went to school there. And I, I've been known him since, what, infant one, preschool, actually. So, it's, you know, he's a very dear friend of mine that we go all the way back to that. To, to, that's where our roots uh, go back. I remember as a kid, we used to go by her, his mother's house, you know, and he, she would always feed us after school. So me and this brother goes all the way back, and I'm very proud that he has, in fact, you know, been one of the foremost Belizean to tell us, look, he's the advocate of saying, your doctor can't make you healthy. He's more into preventative uh, lifestyle, wellness, promote, promote a lifestyle that, that's in keeping being healthy as opposed to just waiting until you get sick, and then you go and you... Um, you, you go and you uh, to your doctor and hope that he can give you some drug, some synthetic drug that will make you well. This brother is talking about, hey, change your lifestyle or make your lifestyle more adequate where you can, where you can develop your lifestyle in the sense that you could promote healthy living so that, you know, like a kind of a prevention thing and that way you don't have to uh, wait until you in dire, straight, dire straits, then you go to your doctor and you know, expect the doctor to make you uh, comfortable. Um, but I will let him expand more on many of the things that I'm talking about because he's really and truly a brilliant mind. I've all met this brother ever since I've known him. He's always have a very enlightened and conscious mind about, uh, as a humanist, how to make humanity better, how to increase, improve the quality of life, not just for himself, but for all. And that's been his mantra for me. I know this young brother here. He's, just, he's always been you know, selfless in giving his time, giving his expertise, giving his, his knowledge, you know, passing on to those who, you know, that, 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 that popular education, if you will. So um, I believe that Dr. Bernard Bulwar is on the line. And um, um, Dr. Bulwar, are you there? My brother Bertie, thanks. Bernard yes, yes, here. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, um, before we go on, I just, want, uh, I just want everyone to know that um, this is Hubert Pipersburg. Um, I'm broadcasting live from Belize, and my guest is Dr. Bernard Bulwar, who is uh, one of the leading research fellow at um, Harvard, and uh, he also worked in Belize. He was a former head of Constitution Memorial Hospital, so he has intimate knowledge of our healthcare system and what we need to make it more adequate and affordable for all Belizeans. So we'll be, just, we'll be discussing this, among other things, as it read to Belize about the politics as well and where healthcare tied into all that. So, um, so how are you doing this morning, Bernard? Well, um, 
both excited as well as, you know, um, facing this exchange with a bit of trepidation, especially from a responsibility point of view. And um, so I really appreciate the invitation, and I trust that, you know, it will be time really well spent, um, especially for, you know, fellow Belizeans, uh, both at home and abroad. And uh, so just bring it on and let's, you know, share with our people what whatever, you know, is in our minds and in our hearts, you know? Okay. Um, one of the things that I had said, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing currently in, in leading research for, you know, in, in, in what is it, endo? That's the endo, um, your endo research for... Uh, echocardiography. Endocardiography, yeah. Echocardiography, yeah. yeah. Essentially, um, I guess most people in Belize may know me for my very first book, Your Doctor Can't Make You Healthy, and maybe also in my post as uh, uh, the former um, medical chief of staff or director of medical services. But what I'm actually known out here in Boston, specifically at the main teaching hospital of Harvard Medical School, Brigham and Women's Hospital, is that, uh, you know, their first book, and, and, and teaching guides in echocardiography are, are the ones that I wrote along with my mentor, who is a, a professor um, at the medical school. And um, I'm also, what is the area of um, pioneering that I'm doing is that for the first time in medical history, we have these smartphone-sized devices, which is a game-changer as far as, you know, medicine is concerned. Essentially, it is like a smartphone that gives you moving pictures instantly, you know, anywhere you are, whether you're in an airplane, whether you're in space, whether you're on Earth, whether you're in any, essentially anywhere that the smartphone is, which is everywhere, even where there's doctor, even where there's no electricity, you know, essentially we can take that heart imaging technology that can show you moving pictures of the live beating heart, and you can literally text it, you know, um, email it, Wi-Fi, whatever. And so it's a game changer on many fronts. So that is the focus of my work. I, I started uh, an academy. It has not yet been launched. We're doing the groundwork before launching called the Echo Stethoscope Academy because the, the issue is that doctors have been carrying around a stethoscope for like 200 years. But mm-hmm. it's a very tool it is more of a real truly it's more of a status symbol a status scope type of thing I'm not saying that to ridicule mm-hmm. it, it has had its time it has had its best days but essentially a medical student with one of these smartphone like devices is better than an experienced cardiologist who listens with a stethoscope you mm-hmm. know so essentially it can look I mean it, it's, it's a technology which was limited to to big hospitals and teaching labs, but it now fits literally inside your pocket like a smartphone. And mm-hmm. so that's the focus of my work. And what I'm doing is actually putting together all the tools necessary for any hospital, any medical school across the United States and around the world to be able to use this instrument. And the reason why you still see doctors carrying around a stethoscope is because essentially they've never been taught to do, use this instrument, neither have their teachers. So to get this moving, we have to literally put in place, 
program for both teachers and students. But it, it, has, it has started to catch on in this country and around the world, and it's really a new frontier, and that's, that's the focus of my, my work and research. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just clarify something a little bit. So in terms of uh, the, 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 you know, the research you're looking at, um, we're looking at, just tell me a little bit more about this app. So I could go to uh, the Apple Store in my, on my, on my, on my oh, iPhone and just um, download this app right now? You can see glimpses of my work. Not everything is online, but if you just Google my name, Bernard Bulwer, Echocardiography, you will see, for example, Pocket Guides on, on Amazon. Um, there's an app. Um, actually, my real flagship work is going to be launched in about three weeks' time. This is really the foundation work. It will be on, on I, you know, the, the mm-hmm. App Store. It, it will be on, um, you know, Amazon. A, a whole range of services, both in terms of education, apps, and what have you, will be launched. But as I speak, there's a bunch of stuff on the Internet that you can absolutely. And if you want to get a glimpse of the academy, which I founded, it's called the Echo Stethoscope Academy. Um, the, it, it is to be launched, but there's a preliminary uh, site called the Echoscope. E-C-H-O-S-C-O-P-E dot O-R-G, okay. and that will be a glimpse of, um, you know, what it's about, you know. When is it going to be ready for like this, so, so I can download it on my, on, my, on my smartphone so I can just take it with me, just like any other apps that's on my smartphone right now? When would that be available? Um, the initial iTunes um, launch, but this is, of, this is for a specific e-book. That mm. will be in about realistically in about six weeks time right the the book on amazon and the app store that should be available i would say sometime in may i can't give mm-hmm. an exact date because mm-hmm. um doing some finishing touches on it but um that is that is more the side show of what i'm doing actually it's the stuff that to me right now is like the least important of what mm-hmm. i would like to share yeah you know? yeah yeah of course. because um, no, no, the reason know, why i brought it up because i know you know you see, the thing about it, what I've found out is that, um, you know, we tend to be, you know, these, 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 these gadgets and devices, these smart apps and smartphones that we have, people tend to just, uh, you know, wrap themselves around these devices. So, uh, you know, they, you know, I'm sure they look, they're, they're asking, absolutely, well, absolutely. I get you know, like, you know, that, absolutely. No, I get where you're coming from. It, it's, it's, I mean, I, I'm really, I really appreciate you asking me about this, um, um, you know, it's, a, it's both a company as well as a, some research that I'm doing in, in this whole area. But I, I, didn't want it, I didn't want to be too self-serving in terms of um, the agenda at hand. But essentially, I'm working on the cutting-edge stuff. And just to let you know, I mean, I've been, all, I've been in the – I first came to the U.S. after my tenure in the Caribbean and after my training in England. But I first came to the U.S. in 2002 on invitation by a Nobel laureate. And um, I, I never had planned to become a citizen. It was never on my mind, you know, the immigration issue. Mm-hmm. But I just said that to say that um, uh, last year, um, because I knew that if I were to launch this company in, in this country, I had to be at least a permanent resident. And mm-hmm. just on the basis of my work and the endorsement from the, the, the top people in this country, in my field, they, they, they took a week and just, just gave me a green card mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on the basis of my work. But you weren't advocating for... To give up, I mean, you weren't advocating for any U.S. Uh, permanency or any kind of citizenship. No, 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 no. I was. It's just that, for example, if I need to, uh, and, and maybe I should just say this. This is more than just doctors, 
having a cool tool to examine the heart, which is a big deal. It means that somebody drops, you know exactly if it's the heart, if the heart is beating, if there's a problem fluid around the heart. You can tell a lot of stuff. It's a real game changer. But mm -hmm. what, how I tie this in with this whole issue of citizenship and green card is that we have about 40 million people around the world with a condition called rheumatic heart disease. It comes from a sore throat. It starts in childhood. It is preventable. So if we can catch the children in Belize and around the world, some of these 40 million or more people, if we can teach these teachers, wherever they are, to get to us images of the heart, mm -hmm. email, text them to us using these little smartphone-sized devices, essentially we can literally put to an end rheumatic heart disease. There was a hospital here at Harvard Medical School that no longer exists. In 1973, the Good Samaritan Hospital closed its doors for lack of patients. The, the staff had completed its mission. I'm literally quoting from a publication where that hospital to treat rheumatic heart disease disappeared. The same thing mm. can be done in Belize using this device. The same thing can be done around the world. We can catch these children early make sure they get their monthly penicillin injections, and let all the deadly complications of rheumatic heart disease, which includes stroke, which includes irregular heart rhythms, we can put that as a thing of the past. So working on the device, working on the tools, is more than just doing something that's cool. It's actually doing something. And how it ties in with my whole uh, desire to seek my green card is that if I'm to get grants, you know, research grants, I have to be either a citizen or a permanent resident. And so mm -hmm. if I need to do this research in, 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 in Belize, where we literally screen all these school children, and it just takes like literally less than five minutes. You, know, you put this device on the children's chest, they don't have to take their clothes off, they can be right in the classroom, right? And we can get these images, right? And we can text them, email them to centers that can say, hey, you know what, this kid is cool, you know, um, or hey, this kid needs a deeper study or, or a more detailed study. That's the kind of significance that we're doing, and I believe there's a lot of grant money for global health. And so, research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. so much of what I'm doing here is actually um, putting together the tools that to, would make these things possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you're right, because, I mean, we utilize the technology to, to, to improve oneself. I think that's, the, that's how it's trending now. But... Specifically, you know, speaking about the diaspora, and since you brought that up with tying into the Greek care thing, you know how there's this hostility that, and Bert Tucker and I used to talk about this all the time too, there's this hostility that, that exists, not only in Belize, but in the Caribbean, towards individuals such as, as us who, 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 uh, who acquire a green card or who acquire U.S. citizenship after 18th birthday. Um, there's this hostility that, that suggests that, 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 the, that the motherland, this attitude towards us that we don't, we're not, that our expertise, whether it's whether it's our economic or economic contributions, is not as appreciated as um, as it should be. What is, what do you think causes this kind of hostility towards something like this? Because you'd be surprised to know that people would be hostile towards an innovative tool like this that can help increase the the, the, well, the health system in Belize. You know, I think it, it, it's a it's a combination of factors, but. A huge part of it is the tragedy of our bringing. I know of many countries around the world 
that literally embrace, welcome, engage their people in the diaspora because they know, you know, and if I use the word biblically speaking, you had people like the Josephs of this world who were exiles in foreign lands. They had new skills. They had new expertise. And they were there to, to help their people in time of need and literally help to rescue an entire country. Um, mm-hmm. This may sound like a mere historical issue, but we know clearly that whether it is China, whether it is India, whether it is many other countries around the world, they literally actively engage their young people to go into all the world and to, 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 to learn you know, the ways of people who have been there, done that, and to engage you know, the motherland. And so what that does is that it rises all boats. But that's just at the people-to-people level. We really were taught a lot, of, uh, 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 because, especially because we were a small country that watched one another. We, we, somewhere in our socialization, we never really celebrated um, each other's successes. And it's a two-way street. I believe that too many times uh, people who have had the, either the fortune or the gumption to, to leave maybe come back home with, dip, with, with, with different attitudes that uh, maybe put people off. Additionally, um, the way Belize is, let me get home, Belize is an enormously rich country, but most Belizeans think that Belize is poor. I mm-hmm. can tell you literally, if you starve in Belize, you are insane. I can't say that of many other places. I mean, I, I am saying that you may not have the money, to go out and buy food, but you know, I have uh, people I know from the United States, they go to this country and say, hey, you know, I'm going to save on a meal, I'm going to just pick a coconut, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Then it's a place where, I mean, I had the CEO of, of KJMH, you, you know, uh, he fishes off from the hangar. And I can tell you, I mean, because I've gotten fish from him, he may have me, I mean, I, I would guess that, 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 uh, the CEO of KHMH may have 30 pounds of, of, of fish in his fridge that he caught off the land behind the hangar, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. he didn't believe you know. So w- I, I came into that because we think that we need to fight each other to survive. But Belize is a country where we don't have to fight each other to survive. And one of the sad things is that the history of politics in Belize, and, and I think I... I don't know if it's Dylan, uh, Dylan Vernon, who is uh, one of our ambassadors in Europe, but I think the f- shortly after the election, I think he, I, I recall reading an article, it's our turn to feed now, F-E-E-D. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so the socialization, the politics is part of it, is that we believe that we need to fight against each other to make it, or fight for the limited opportunity. Mm-hmm. Fight limited that. And that is really not true. Not mm-hmm. only so, that it, it, it actually reflects our own image of ourselves because we need to, to tackle these things up front and we, if, if we were to move forward as a country. Um, the additional thing too is that, and this doesn't only refer to Belize. I recall in, in Cambodia, when the Pol Pot came to power, one of the first things that they did was to kill all the people who were scholars. They killed all the people who wore glasses. Because in their opinion, if people could read, right, and if people could think, they were seen as a threat to the system. So 
also at the at the leadership level. Uh, sometimes there is a fear of people who may have been more exposed because when I was a boy, I really lamented when I first left for university. Why is it, you know, that our streets look the way they look? Why is it that the airport looks the way it looks? You know, back then, it was like a warehouse, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and even to this day, you know, um, don't get me started, but even to this day, I think, and, and this comes close to my heart, I think that we, sadly, tragically, are bent on a sort of national cannibalism. And let me explain what I mean. Um, they, they, they have a saying, if you don't hang to get together, you will get hung separately. And I see a situation where, as I touch on the roads, Bert, when last you went to Chedomal? Hello? I'm not sure if you know, we would. I have having some technical difficulties. I think I lost Dr. Boa, and I think I also dropped. Bear in mind, I'm in Belize, and um, sometimes the technology is not as efficient as it could be. So I'm trying to see how we can establish the link again. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, all right, good, great, great. I can hear you. So sorry about that, Bernard. I think sometimes you know I'm I'm not sure how the broadband works here in Belize, but I you know um, you know it does it does that sometimes. But you were saying. Can, would you continue with the line of thought that you were going before we got we got separated? Uh, just give me the, the the hint where we where where you last heard me. Well, we were talking about um, you know you were saying how uh, you know we were talking about how people the, the attitude of Belize in towards those and it's, it's kind of like you say it's part of the social construct and you know just the, you know, the, towards the, the Belize. Did, who, did, did you hear me speak about what one of our current ambassadors had said after yeah. one of the elections? Uh, up to the point, up in, no, up to the point where you, 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 to feed that we can, you know, it's not a poor country and it brought a fish in. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Um, well, I was what I was saying is that um, you know the Belize I grew up in, 
I mean, I, I, in, in our yard in Belize City, we had chickens, we had eggs, we had all kind of fruit trees in Belize City. And I was mentioning how, you know, the, the, the CEO of KHMH, one of the things that he does is that he fishes somewhere behind the hangar, and um, he um, would have maybe about 30 pounds of fish in his uh, fridge or freezer at any one time that he catches in Belize City. And um, I'm, I'm just mentioning that, you know, we, we had people who visit Belize and are struck by the fact that, you know, even though people may not have um, uh, what you call cash, right, nevertheless, it's not a place that you can starve, you know, uh, if, if you have your head screwed on your body, um, simply because we have a small population, a lot of land, and um, strictly speaking, if, if we know what we have, then we'll realize how well off we are, but even better yet, how better off we can be. Mm-hmm. And um, so... I, I, I lament also the, 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 the politics of Belize where uh, people are meant to feel that we, it, it, it's, it's our turn to feed. And that's the term used by a current U.S. ambassador, a Belize ambassador in Europe, where he wrote uh, a, an article, I recall, glimpsing it, saying it is our turn to feed now. And so um, much of our people... Are, there is this strife, this competition, where people think that it is a zero-sum game. Is that mm-hmm. if I um, in charge, then it means that you know it's my turn to feed. And at, at many, many levels in the league, a lot of things have been built on patronage, meaning that in the educational realm, that if you were connected to a certain person, individual, or group, you had the opportunity. And so. Um, this mindset where we believe that, that it is us, you against your neighbor, you know, it is, it's deeply ingrained in Belize. It, it's tragic, but it's deeply ingrained, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I could look at it even, you know, when I came back as a doctor, there were certain people there who were, uh, were, were, were quote-unquote, from Belize royalty, right? And, you know, I'm a little guy from Yabra and so forth, you know, you're not supposed to have etc. You know, and it is palpable how they treat you with disdain, or it's palpable how, rather than welcome you back home, they actually see you as a threat. And so even though when I came back from England with a specialty first in, in diabetes and uh, preventive heart disease and nutrition, you know, I was told by the people who ran the KHMH that they, they didn't need my services. And that's when I started to write I had Imagine to literally, that. huh? Imagine that. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is that it's not only in that sector. People who come back as engineers, people, because you see, what we've been taught is we've been taught to fight for jobs. And remember, jobs in the civil service is based on posts, you know. Mm. And there are never as many posts as there are as there are people. And so what it means is that the way we have been trained is that we have to compete against one another and whether it is politics, whether it is tribalism, you know. By the way, those are, I have two books I really want to write. One is The Gatekeepers, and the other one is, is, is Tribes at War. Because mm-hmm. um, it, it really reflects a condition of humanity, and certainly when it comes to belief, it, it really it, 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 is, it becomes striking. Because, you know, um, there is no reason why the diaspora 
should not be actively courted and engaged. But the diaspora also has a responsibility that when you engage with belief, that you are not in competition for those limited spaces that people fight over. Mm -hmm. I think what the diaspora mm -hmm. has to do is to bring the new thoughts and the new ideas and engage. But it's a two-way street. It, it cannot happen unless both sides want it to happen. You know, um, mm -hmm. I know there was a talk about the diaspora grouping, but a diaspora grouping is not about people saying I'm a part of a diaspora group. The diaspora grouping is, is actually a conscious decision uh, that you either have your navel string or your history in a very special piece of, uh, of this earth called Belize and that you want to play your part to help take it to another level. Um, also, the politics of Belize is, is also historically a sad one because um, politics is about winning elections, right? And all kind of individual elections who are not necessarily leaders, you understand? They may not mm -hmm. win an election, but they may not be leaders, nor visionaries, nor statesmen. And so the agendas, sadly, politics in this country, the United States politics around the world has to do with, you know, um, who looks after who, who funds who, you know, and everyone wants their pound of flesh once they're in power. If they're a supporter, they want a post, a position, some place on the board, and, and, and that's just how systems work, you know. So I think, I think that there needs to be engagement on both sides. There are practical ways that this can happen. I believe that, you know, uh, some people are interested in this, but I, I think the diaspora has to engage in belief in very practical ideas. Give you an example. You know, a big thing right now in the urban area in the United States, in New York and other places, has to do with, with you know, urban, urban farms. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It has both a tourism sector and we have a local sector. I lament the fact that in Belize City, you know, that we've largely abandoned a lot of stuff that we used to do during my day. And that has to do with having stuff that really puts food on your table in your yard in Belize City. You know, I'm not just trying to go back to the old days, but I'm saying that, you know, simple things like we used to raise chickens in a coop, right? And we used to have eggs in Belize City. Now, this generation thinks that egg, eggs and chickens are something that you get from the Mennonites. Yeah. And the Mennonites are the richest people in Belize. You know, there are some lots of very practical things. I, you know, I am, I am old school. When I was in the Caribbean, I laughed at my friends. You there, Bert? Yes, yes, I'm listening to you, brother. Go I ahead. used to laugh at my Bahamian friends because back in Belize, we drank the pipe water and so forth. And then I went to Jamaica only to find that the Bahamians were buying waters in bottles. And I laughed at them. That was the most hilarious thing I heard until I went back home to Belize after a couple of years and found out that we I do the same thing. buying water in bottles. And I am of the generation when many, it was almost like a standard that you would have some kind of vat in Belize City, because water is not something that comes from crystal or femagra. Water is something that, you know, comes from the sky. You have the means to collect it, and you have the means to distribute it. Now, why am I saying those things? I'm saying those things because, you know, there is a battle for human minds. And mental slavery is not just something about a historical issue. 
right? All this advertisement, all the value systems that are put out there, it is someone trying to tell you what to wear, what to eat, where to live, what is cool, what is not, you know. And until people have a very um, reflective view of what their life is, what their society is, then I think, you know, we become easy prey. I have a saying that, well, other people have to say, if you don't set your agenda, someone else is going to set it for you, you know. And so, to a large extent, most people generally are sheep, right? And they are easily led. And so what has happened is that, you know, this is easy prey for those who want to shape how people think. I mean, when we used to uh, be under the English master, and if you look at all around the Caribbean, you see Milo, you see Ovaltine, you see condensed milk. The you see a brand. lot of these things that the British mm-hmm. valued. Now, I know better, right? The British have some of the worst health statistics in the world, okay? And so what we did is that we looked up to the colonial master, his food choices, his lifestyle. But I lived in Britain for over three years. You know, I studied in Britain. I worked in Britain, you know. And I realized that if there's one set of people we should not emulate in terms of their nutrition habits, should be the British. And I'm saying that purely on the basis of a, a medical nutritional practice. You see what I'm saying? Mm, but indeed. we have, as we say in Belize, we follow foot what everybody else do. So we don't set the agenda. Other people tell us what is important, what is good, what is not. And so we are easy prey to whoever comes. Are you you're cracking up? I don't know why this. Maybe I should call on my other phone. Uh, let, let me let, let me no, no, you, try you and I'm a cat, so that I think that what I, I I don't you, know if it's you, from you, my end. No, 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 it's not from your end. It's it's I'm on Skype and, and I'm in Belize, and so the uh, the um, connection is not as, as efficient. Oh. Okay, so um, I'm, did that I'm, exchange was that exchange okay? Did it come true? Yes, you're you you're perfect because okay. you you're calling my my my, my forum from from the states, so you're good. It's, I'm the one that's having the issues with in terms oh, okay. of my. Uh, with the technical difference, yeah. because I'm, I'm using Skype and it's not, you know, using the broadband and Belize, you know how that is. But um, what, what I was going to say was, um, see, we, what we did was we, re, we replaced colonial functionaries, I mean, we, we, colonial, the colonials for local functionaries, which was, that's how Holloway said that uh, we are developing, because they emulate the same attitude that they saw, and this is one of the things that we always talk about, they emulated the same attitude that they saw the colonial master um, <laughs> and you got to bear in mind that colonialism was based on racism, sexism, classism, and dis- racial uh, and discrimination. So, that, so in order to understand Belize mindset, we must examine the, uh, the, the, the where we came from as far as our. And I'm not saying this to say that oh, this that's an excuse or or some people say well you're to blame. I'm not blaming colonialism. I'm merely saying that we may, we need to ex- examine that social construct of what that did to us as a people in our mindset since we're discussing it, and also the fact that. Um, you know, Belize, like any other nation that went through a history of a colonialism, uh, reflected at the time of independence were sharp class division, a dangerous cut between the haves and the have-nots. And, you know, and so we had a, 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 a local elite or a petty bourgeois that, 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 that really were the beneficiaries of the opportunity uh, by the colonialism. So that's the kind of, that's the status quo that we battle. Who wants to, rem- who, that we're battling, who wants to have everything remain as they are and see the diaspora as a threat 
because of our exposure and our enlightenment on, 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 on issues that our worldview based on that. So I think that's the monster that we're fighting. But specifically when you're in Belize, the image, I'm sorry that, that you had to go through with that institution. And I'm not knocking institutions no, or knocking Belize, okay? Right. This is a segue to some things bigger as you're talking about colonialists versus neocolonialists. You know, they have a saying that um, if all you know is abuse, then that's all you practice. Um, you know, it, it's like someone who grew up in a home where they don't, didn't know how to treat a mother, treat children, you know, a, a history of abuse. It, it goes even more fundamentally to a very important human point, Bert. Why are we on the face of this earth? You understand? Mm-hmm. How do you relate to your fellow man? You know, it all, one of the things that struck me here in the United States is that is how people have manipulated, you know, even the scriptures. One of the basic things that the scriptures teach you is to be your brother's keeper. It teaches you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It tells you about the parable of the sheep and the goats. Right? When was I hungry? Or when was I in prison? When was I sick? Well, the scripture says, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. Here's my point. People cannot rise higher than what they believe. And if you believe that you're on the face of this earth, as my mother said, of all my mother's children, I love myself the best. And when I get my belly full, the devil with the rest. If that's what you believe, then you live out the way we relate with each other. Mm-hmm. You understand? And so if, 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 you, if, we, if my life is about me, if my life is about get what I could get and to devil with the rest, then it affects the way I see people, the way I relate with people. So I hate to say that we have had a preponderance of a mindset which at its core is a very selfish one because how can I celebrate? Let let me put it to you like this. My mindset is one where I believe every human being was created in the image and likeness of his maker. By that I mean that when I look at a human being, and this I had to retrain the way I think because I grew up, you know, looking at people differently. But as I got older and hopefully as I got wiser, what is the reason for my talent? Why am I at KHMH? Am I at KHMH for a job or am I at KHMH so that the thing that we said we couldn't have, we could have? That when I left there after two years, that we had no cardiac program and then we ended up having cardiac open heart surgery or on a diagnostics or that we had no dialysis. Why we had no dialysis? In less than a year and a half, we had not just a dialysis service and one dialysis nurse for the entire country which was there previously but we had 18 U.S. trained dialysis nurses, trained at home on the ground, right, you know, for both the Carlosian as well as in the center. When we had an emergency room, which from the time the hospital was built, you hearing me, Bert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we had at the time that the hospital was built, that if you're a sick person, when you go there, you don't see any nurse or doctor, you're locked up in a room, and what is in between you and the doctors and the nurses? There is a telephone operator smack dead in the emergency room. There's a toilet smack dead in the middle of that. And there's an eating room smack dead in the middle of that. And then they told me that that had to be that way. And you know what? Long story short, we, we eliminated all those rooms. And so when you go at the hospital, you can see every time a patient gets in there, 
they have to face the nurses, they face the doctors, and you know, the, the, the hope is that they get uh, at least the attention that, that they deserve. Um, what am I saying is that when you start looking at what is your life and why are you there, is it about power, is it about control? If I have the ability to help, am I going to be pimping people? And I want to use plain language, you know, because some sick stuff happening where people just abuse their power, you know. You've got to be pimped if you want anything. That is a disrespect for a human being. Is that what you'd want someone to do to you or your sister, your relative? Is that how you love your neighbor? So what I'm saying is that the way you look at privilege, opportunity, authority depends on why, how you see your life and what is your purpose, you know. And so this is what drives me. I mean, it saddens me that when you leave Chetamal, Bert, you hear me? Hello? Frustrating part about when you. I'm back here. Don't worry. It's part of the package. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. I think what happens sometimes, Bernard. Like I said, I'm calling you on. I'm I'm calling in on Skype. So I'm not you on a landline, effective line. I'm calling on Skype. So. um, Let's let's work with what we have because. Yes, work with what we have. Yeah. But coming. Okay. Here's something I want to touch on. Um. And and as far as the healthcare belief, since you you know you were bringing it up here, um, the 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 healthcare policy. Is it adequately meeting the needs and addressing the needs that underserved in that country? Because based on what I saw, you know, based on you know, based on you know what I what I you know in my participatory observation, um, they have this sort of a leaving the poor to fend for themselves attitude, uh, which I believe further widen the gap between the disenfranchised masses and the well-to-do. So my question is, this discriminatory way of providing healthcare neglects the fact that even rich countries' markets don't function efficiently. Belize seems to want to say, well, if you can pay for it, then you get the care, but if you can't pay for it, then to hell with you. Why is this attitude so prevalent in a country that, that's only less than 250,000 or so people? Um, let me answer this by, I don't know what part of that conversation got cut off when I started talking about the KHMH. Did you hear me speak about cardiac surgery? Yes, you, you were a pioneer. You pioneered cardiac surgery. You heard me speak about dialysis? Yes, you pioneered that also, yes. Mm-hmm. And I started on the uh, uh, um, emergency room 
uh, changes and so what got cut off. All right, let me explain a little thing to you. Um, there is a tragic, and I would dare say pathologic mindset, which is prevalent amongst uh, an, uh, a number of the more senior doctors in Belize. Um, again, I told you that, you know what it is about my brother in a nutshell with KHMH? KHMH was supposed to be a hospital that had such a bad reputation that only those who didn't have options would go. And one of the tragedies about KHMH is that there was at one time most of the doctors the senior ones or the specialists who work privately also worked at the hospital. And you ask yourself, what is the difference? You know, why is it that if the doctor works at KHMH, you can't get care from him there? And why is it that you could only get help from him in the private sector? Mm-hmm. And so you start looking at motive. The KHMH, before I went there, was supposed to be a place that was a second rate, and then you had the two private hospitals where the place where you get specialist services. Let me dispel the notion, that notion in Belize. There's none of the private hospitals in Belize that is equipped to handle cases, emergencies like the KHMH. And I'll tell you, when I started cardiac surgery program and gotten the cat lab and those things in place, just to let you know for the record, let the people of Belize know, there was active opposition from people who were the gatekeepers. And these were people who, whose motives to oppose was 100% the motive was profit, okay? That they did not want anything that could be a money spinner to be done at the KHMH. The reason why the private sector had dialysis, and they had like two or three dialysis machines and one nurse and an assistant, and when we changed that, or was a part of that change, where we had 18 dialysis nurses and we had about 20 dialysis machines shared between KHMH and La Loma Luz. This was because, the opposition was because the people in the private sector were collecting millions of dollars from sick people who could least afford, but they were subsidized by the government of Belize. So the health care services in Belize, I'm not talking about vaccinations or maternal and child health where we have good records internationally for that, but at the local level, you know, the, uh, the agenda, the mindset was that people who had money would pay in the private sector. And the KHMH was supposed to be downtrodden and disgusting so that anybody who had money would not want to come there. That thing changed under my tenure. And it changed because, you know, it was the right thing to do. There's no reason why the National Hospital shouldn't be the center of progress. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a wider agenda even beyond medicine. I had started to speak about things that directly impact health, with like, for example, the motor vehicle accidents. I don't necessarily listen to the belief talk show for logistical reasons, and, but, you know, I would wish that the subject of discussion be how to progress. Because at the KHMH, if you, did you notice know my tribute to uh, Ambassador Bert Tucker that I sent you. Mm-hmm. You know one of the things I mentioned what we were working on? 
so that the hospital would not have to evacuate during the time of, of a major hurricane. hurricane. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why did I write that? Can you tell me it is up to the people of Belize right now as I speak to agitate that we want to have a KHMH that is built or rebuilt or we put in place some tower because that was our plan to get an all-weather tower that is high enough, tall enough, and strong enough to withstand any hurricane disaster. You want to tell me that it is reasonable that Bolivians would go to Belmopan or elsewhere in the time of a hurricane when that's where most of the people live? Mm-hmm. I will leave it to anybody to decide. You tell me what kind of policy is that. Can I tell you if I'm authorized by the powers of B to get the money to put up an all-weather tower? You know I can do that, and I'm willing to do that even as I speak. But those things you have to do through in governments and institutions. Hello? Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, that seems to be... So the agenda for Belize, what we need to agitate is some of the solutions. We need to run with the ideas and stuff that is put in place and say, you know what, we will pressure our politicians and let the politics and the agendas for the election be that we will create an all-weather tower for Belize fit for KHMH so that the hospital does not need to empty and patients transported in the rush or sent home sick during a time of an impending hurricane. Let's look at the roads. You want to tell me, when last you've been to Chatham, Albert? Um, I have not been to, well, I think okay. in the last two years. All right, your parents would, t- your parents would tell you that Chetamal was the backwater, Belize City was the big city. But look at the roads that as you leave the border and you come across to Belize. The roads in Belize are the killing fields. You want to tell me that we, including the politics, disregard our own lives that we don't even realize that at least the, the heavy road between Belize and Chetamal and Belize City and Belmopan at least should not have a dual carriageway that is mm. marked and lighted. When yeah. are we going to advocate for those things? But we, we, I hate to say it, sometimes we get carried away and talking and reacting to a whole lot of issues which per- may be important, but they're not really that important because we, mm. we have to move beyond a complaint culture to a solutions culture, you know? I mean, give you an example of something that I think epitomizes how Belizeans are at. You remember the burying ground, Lord's Ridge? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cemetery, yes. Everybody knows that we'll die, right? Everybody knows from the city, knows that when you die, you will be buried at Lord Ridge. Everybody between Belize City and Belmopan past Lord Ridge, almost, you know, every time, you know, you, you, you travel to Belmopan. But everybody knows that the burial ground needs to be expanded, but everybody sees that the burial ground is getting smaller and smaller and people building on it and allowed to build on it, given permit to build on it, or allowed to squat on it for reasons which are obvious, either money changing hands or it suits the politics of the day. And you know what happens? The burial ground disappears. And you know what happens? Is that we will all who die have to go 8 miles, 10 miles, 15 miles out, the amount of money, gas, cost for that. But you know what? Everybody just sits and watches it happen, and you know what? Everybody pays the price. What's my point? My point is that if we want to progress as a nation, we will have to move beyond mere complaints 
and we will have to have actual practical things that a country needs to run, to progress, to survive, and hold ourselves and our leaders to that task. Because I'll mm. tell you something. Politicians act on what people is important to people, especially in times of election. And we need to advance our agenda and deal with things that affect us, like the roads, like the hospitals, like opportunities, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, even look at our national university, you know. There, there, there are a number of things that a national university is supposed to do. We would like to see, especially in a country like Belize, that when you come out of UB, you there, Bert? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Go ahead. You're, you're not good. simply getting a, a bachelor's in business so that you take up a job that your parent used to do with a high school degree. You know, we don't want to have a race to the bottom or where you have some kind of academic inflation where all you are doing is getting more degrees to compete for the same old job. You know, there's a lot of stuff to be done in Belize. Right now, as I told you, that, that even on the urban front, you know, there's big multi-million dollar money in, 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 in urban farms on the top of buildings in New York City, right? Belize has a situation where there's a lot of stuff that we can do in very practical terms. We're not even marketing our cashew that is growing wild, you know? We're not even marketing the kuhun that's growing wild. You look at the blackberry, you understand? Mm-hmm. These are practical solutions that UB, local entrepreneurship and so forth, needs that when people do a degree that they come out with some kind of uh, business plan, especially if they need to do it like on a cooperative front because you know a lot of people don't have that business discipline and so forth but at least they can be plugged in to something that is going somewhere you know so on on the national front i think we need to start to focus on solutions and things that affect us many times i you know if i were to be able to speak to people you know i I haven't spoken to the people in cola and all these different organizations not to get carried away and be influenced by the politics of the day and to pursue bigger agendas, right? And the big agendas, as I told you, are the ones that come back to haunt us. And one clear one, as I mentioned, is we live in a city that if there's a crisis, the hospital will evacuate and the very place that needs to help you won't be there. Well, yeah, is which that is a part national, of that, that's, 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 that's it. That's a product right there, it is. But you know, it's called... that's not a national issue. And you know what? I can tell you, we can literally deal with certain governments, and the government of Belize knows exactly what kind of governments they could do to build an all-weather tower. Right now you have even, you know, funds, you know, you've had neighbors in, you know, that have helped us in, in different ways, but there are people with real money who could do that. You know, the British, take for example, Bert, the British Army used to be there with their helicopters, right? Mm-hmm. If you get injured on the islands, right, or in the south, do you know if you're in PG and if you have a motor vehicle accident, that's almost a death sentence? Imagine that indeed. That's, that's, that's scary. Do you know Very we scary. don't have an evacuation service with helicopters that's readily available for Belizeans? The British used to do that with their Puma helicopters. They were there. But they locked up. You talk about reparation, that's one of the least things that they should have left for us. A heli- yep. or couple Puma helicopters with mm-hmm. you know, staff. Those are things that we should fight for. You understand? Mm-hmm. You know? 
But again, I, I um, we have to treat. You know what I hope is that um, even as you're in the diaspora and dealing with a lot of stuff from a global, a bigger perspective, some of these. If, if this talk show, if my time here is simply me opening up, up my mouth and giving my ideas and that's it, then it, it's literally a waste. Because I speak from one who is from the belly of the beast as far as medicine is concerned. Is this a fish from River Bottom tell you say, Ali needs mm. to have belly. Yeah, you know you the story, yes. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so my point is, if I tell you that we need to start advocating for an all-weather toward KHMH so that the hospital doesn't need to evacuate in the event of a major hurricane, that's an issue we need to nail on our bulletin board and we need to present that to the people of the country and agitate that we want this. It can happen. Government believes not to pay one dollar, so to speak, to make that happen. It just needs the will and it needs to get the right people. And when projects like that happen, we need to, you know, see them to completion and do what they're supposed to do without people just thief the money or, 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 or you understand what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and there are many other national agendas that I hope, because you know what, Bert? As I said, human beings were created in the image of their maker. Nobody better than you, nobody smarter than you. You have one set of talents where I don't have. You understand? Yeah, we are and so you the people. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do, again, as I told you, if you have a mentality which you inherit from the British and a supremacist, first class, second class mentality, then you will treat and disrespect your fellow human being, or you'll pimp them, or you'll use them, or you'll abuse them. But if you believe that the Most High put you on the face of the earth to be of service to mankind, then you will realize that when you have knowledge or when you have abilities, it is to impart what has been given to you. You know why people get heart attack and a lot of those things? is that we take on board a whole lot of junk, right, and we clog up our system. Right? When what we really need to do is to make sure that we don't consume stuff just to hoard it on our own selves. We need to keep the flow going. And I learned even from my specialty, the, the thing that damages the vessels is when we put all kind of junk mentality and junk stuff inside our systems. And we not only junk up ourselves, we end up, you know, not imparting or not causing nourishment for mm-hmm. people around us or for the country in which we are. So we're dealing with an uphill battle, but it is one that I think is a call to citizenship. But it it would really need leadership. And leadership is not politics. Leadership is where you have us collectively using even the avenues that we have. You have here like a platform. It's a forum where we can move beyond just, oh, at the talk, Oh, I did complain, and then we go about our business and nothing changes. You know, we need people who realize that really each one of us has a role and each one of us needs to be empowered. I think it is disrespectful when another man looks at me as though I am somebody who uh, is some strange, strange person or stranger. I believe everyone. You know, I heard one man said that the richest place is the, is the graveyard. Yeah. I heard that. Yes, yes, I think I've heard that saying there. Yeah, but um, it is not that there's gold teeth or gold jewelry buried there. It is, it is the ideas that never bore fruit, especially in a situation like Belize mm. where 
so many of our young people, literally if you add them up by the thousands, and many more thousands named through the years, simply because, you know, of, of the cannibalism that is taking place. And I use that word deliberately. Well, I mean, see, what it is, you know, uh, Bernard, is, you know, let's, let's um, take a break. Because I usually take a break on top of the hour. And um, can you hold on for like a two, two three minutes? And um, we're going to take a little break and then come back on the next segment and tackle some things. One thing I want to, before we go to the break, I want to say this. That um, this, this culture of impunity that we seem to have, you know, um, that, 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 you, that, you, that you're discussing, this culture of impunity where, um, you know, where we, we, we just seem to let neglect happen because it's allowed to happen. Um, I recall when there was this big hem and cry the other day over uh, when the babies went, got, you know, were some prenatal care or some, you know, some... Yeah. Yeah, you, were you familiar with that with that incident, that that, that event that came in when twelve or thirteen babies? Just, um, I, I have some insights. In, uh, to me, the, the the issue was less one of the doctors and then one more of the the way the situation was handled. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, we we are people who like to operate in crisis mode. Yes, you know? yes, that's that's our biggest um, problem. And um, there were some things that were fundamentally. Uh, lacking at the KHMH, that for me, if it wasn't that, it was going to be something else. And it's part of the reason why um, I, I hate to say that um, um, uh, I, I knew I had to come back out here, but if, if there was one thing, it sad me how you have people at the institution whose agenda is not the benefit of, you know, the people of, 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 of Belize City in particular and the people of the country in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think one thing... thing oh. You know, hello? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Bernard. Yeah. Bernard, I'll say this here because I'm not afraid to say it, and I'm not trying to pick a fight or a quarrel, but, um, you know, um, it's actually something that, you know, I, I even got a letter legal to write, but I, I had really wish uh, the person would try to prosecute it. But um, I, I wrote someone, you know, they had an agenda which was um, parasitic, and, and, and maybe I'm being a bit kind even in saying this here, you know, but, um, you know, you know, for me, you cross a line when you pimp a hospital. You understand? Yeah. You know, you, you could do that with business or what have you, but if you're in the business of trying to take care of people, then uh, um, if you mess with a hospital or a hospital uh, monies, you, you become my enemy because well, you, you cross... You know- what I what I observe, Bernard, is in Belize we do not necessarily approach our healthcare needs from a public health standpoint. You know, meeting the needs of the underserved or the have-nots, but you know, it tends to be, um, you know, we we tend to look at it from as a preferential classes income-based system, and to me that's the worst form of approach to to, to try to help your population. You know, which is one of your most valuable resources. My brother, if you want to, as I said, we could take this up on the second haven't explored this a little further, but as I said, even when you look at where people are trained, you know one thing a, Cuba, a, 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 a Cuban doctor said once, and he laughed? He said, have you noticed that the... Hello? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. He, he was talking about, we would have expected that many of our doctors who train in developing countries would come back 
with a better attitude of service. The sad fact is that many of them train on the systems where, you know, the, the, the dog eat the, the, the supper of the poor. You understand? Mm-hmm. Some of us are trained in such uh, brutal systems. And I can tell you, you know, um, if you expect the, the... Boy, it's just a mindset thing where some people see their profession as the way to make money, full stop, you know. And that before anything else. What can I do about that? You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's that man's value system. And it plays out in the way. All right, give you a practical thing. You know when doctors used to complain to me at the KHMH about anything? But you know what I used to do? Anytime they complain, I said, you know what? Thanks for letting me know. Um, we will work through this situation together. Because if they thought that I was the one who created those problems and that they won't be a part of the solution. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. But you know what? People want to complain and figure that that's the end of their job, right? But if you're asking them, are they willing to be a part of the solution, you get a very different feedback. And so, a lot, again, it boils down. Do you care about human beings? Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself as someone who is there to impart what you've been given most people, sadly, don't think that way. And you know what? It means that nothing changes. It means that the systems, we will complain about it today, and we'll complain about it in the days to come. And so, if we want, and I'm using a big if, because this is not me, it is not you, will we challenge our people that we want to live in a different belief, that we want to live in a better belief, that we want to live in a belief where we're not looking for politicians to be the solutions to our problems. Yes, they have a role. But the fact is that we collectively as a people, and it's serious, because in that letter that I, I, I mentioned about the tribute to Bert Tucker, what I mentioned is that the country of Belize does not have a single proper urologist. Yes. And when we Imagine had one, that. his name was Neil Garbutt, and he was in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. And Neil Garbutt, you know, he was a strong-willed person. And prostate, but and prostate, prostate cancer, among many, is a very serious condition in this country. And yet we only have maybe one or no urologist. You know, that was, brother, yeah. I don't yeah. want to sound dramatic, but with it dead off, you understand? Mm-hmm. Right? And it's not a national... That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, you know, with the slow dead, mm-hmm. right? With the dead from crop, right? With the dead from violence, with the dead from the carnage on the roads, Right? with the dead from all kinds of preventable medical issues. I'm telling you, if you sit where I sit, then you'll realize that, that tackling the bull by the horns is a matter of survival of beliefs as we know it. Mm-hmm. Because we, you know, uh, used to see a lot of people used to worry about Guatemala and Guatemala. My brother, they, they believe the biggest enemy of beliefs is right inside beliefs. You know, it is we ourselves. And unless we take a long hard look in the mirror right and unless we recognize that there are some things that we need to do if we are to survive as a people if we are to survive as a nation but what you know I can tell you go ahead I can tell you that there are some sinister agendas which would really I mean someone, you know, know what someone said that me? pushes these things down KMH and those no, other someone, if they are looking for a country to take over 
Belize is the perfect place to take over, you know, and 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 and, and simply, and 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 that's what, you know, um, and I use the word because I I, I you know the, these big pimps, you know, that have taken over and and, and come and uh, hijack our politics and hijack our economics, you know, they realize that Belize is is an easy country to take over, an easy country to influence. See what I'm saying?
Bye. Yes, I'm back live. Bernard, are you still there? Still here. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Still here. I, 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 what I'm doing now, what I'm doing now, I'm, I'm actually using the uh, the landline now because because uh, the Skype thing is uh, is not efficient and it's frustrating. This conversation is too important for us to uh, mm-hmm. you know to be having such a because so hopefully for the next four or five minutes that we have left, uh, I'm not you know we're not going to have the kind of uh, issues that we have. But I was saying, Bernard, that um, what is very telling for me is um, and, and this is something that's very fundamentally flawed. When the very leaders of the country, including the people who are in charge of the gatekeepers, as you as you aptly put it, when they, they their preferred choice for treatment and their families are elsewhere, not at a KH and this facility, um, this underscore you know this to me further underscores the perception of the poor in a society that the economic deck is stacked against them and that the economic system favors the wealthy. So those who are suffering economically are also extremely concerned about inequality. And, and this should be a major concern to all of us because unequal societies with less inclusive institutions have greater difficulties sustaining growth. So, some of the things that you're talking about, and I, I, I agree with you that you know, the, you know, and you made. You, I I want to go back to the article that you wrote where you made a correlation between the violence and the health of our nation, and you know, where you made that. You know, those are not those two are not mutually exclusive at all. In fact, I, I would argue that they are very much go hand in hand. Uh, and what you argued in, in, in an article where, for example, with gunshot wounds and the fact that KHMH have um, less than stellar, stellar uh, ability to treat those things there. What do you think it's going to take for us to really put this in the forefront of the public policy agenda you know, as a focusing event? Because there's nothing you can indicate as a focusing event that, that something is seriously wrong with our healthcare system, and not only our healthcare system, but our system in general. But, uh, that what is it going to take for Belizean to understand that, look, we cannot continue to chase our tail like this? Um, to be honest with you, change will happen when people demand change. Um, when I say demand, I'm not talking about only getting on a talk show or only complaining when there's a crisis. You know what I would hope? As I said, someone who has been there, I am more than willing to offer my support to any initiative that speaks, or or, or maybe let me rephrase that. Um, I know I have a responsibility as one who has been in that belly of the beast. But it's not one individual who will advocate and for change that happens inside an institution. It it will it will be you see the same platform that you have here? Perhaps mm-hmm. what we can do is to engage locally. I'm not sure uh, I, I presume that most of the audience to this uh, show would be Belizeans in the diaspora. Uh, I'm not sure what the... Yes. Uh, you know, but what we in the diaspora and, and we who are very really connected to Belize, I don't like the diaspora terminology because I'm as Belizean as they come. I'm just doing some work that I can only do here, you know, and not in Belize for the time being, you know. 
Um, but having said that, um, I believe I have a responsibility to engage with you and to engage with others who can pursue not just a complaining agenda, but could say, you know what, we need some of these things to happen in place. Now, I'll tell you something. The KHMH is not the same institution. There are a lot of good things that that institution does. And for the record, during my tenure and even beyond, I'll tell you, because, you know, I don't mind who takes credit, but clearly, you know, we've had, you know, the same group of folks that you mentioned, politicians, come to the KHMH for service because the KHMH offered what was not offered in the public sector in Belize. So we've had politicians, sitting politicians, had their operations at the KHMH, had their hearts checked at the KHMH, had diagnostics done at the KHMH. So, and that was initially from folks who were on the sidelines. So I believe that, that there is a way, you know, and remember how politics works. Politicians take credit for anything that happens positive. I don't mind them doing that. But we as people who live in well, the country, who have in the country, go ahead. You said something that was it, it is we to me here that I, I, I wanted to focus on that for me. Well, you said that um, you know, we have become a people who listen, wait for the next tragedy to occur, then become focused and active on some things that's exposed. I mean, it's like essentially a reactive mind, and that seems to be part of the uh, that seems to be part of the um, the uh, you know the, um, the, 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 the the I don't want to say problem, but that seems to be part of seemingly an issue that we have where we just you know, or even public policy apparatus is very reactionary. We don't, we're not, we're not, we're not proactionary at all. We just wait for something bad to happen. It's almost like an expectation of disaster. Why you, why you think that happens? You know, give you an example. When I first was invited up here by Nobel laureate Bernard Long in 2002, right? Boston. You know what the first thing that struck me when I was in this whole Longwood medical area? There was one word that rang in my head. It's called legacy. That some people in times past did what was necessary for this thing to become what it is. My point is this, that Bert, at its core, I'm telling you, the, mm-hmm. the thing that will make a difference in what happens in our country will not be I'm not saying talk is critical, it's important, but it will come from the doers. And the doers are, what, to do something, Bert, it takes not only time, it also means that you need to be willing to be in other people's bad books. Because I'll tell you something, when I, when I just accepted the CAT lab at the KHMH, the Diagnostic Cardiac Catheterization Laboratory, the weight of people in, in, who are heavily connected in politics and failed politicians came against mm-hmm. me. I'm telling you that even I had to go against my own leadership at the hospital. What a lot of people don't re- realize, are you willing to act smartly? Not, you, you see, for me, I said I was not going to leave KHMH and said we could have do this or we should have do this. You understand? You know why? Because there mm-hmm. are people back home who depend, whose life and death situation depends on what I do 
or don't do. And so the way mm-hmm. to deal with our hospital, I can tell you tangible things. One of the most primary things, the hurricane season is coming up. If it is not this year, it will be sometime when you will hear a big tragedy hit the city and there is no hospital in sight. You think, you, do you think the all of Belize City will ever evacuate? And if Belize City is hit no, by a big hurricane and there is no plane that can land at the airport, where will they get their health care from? That's what leadership is. Leadership hey. is anticipating and preparing and protecting your people. And I'm telling you that one of the things that is necessary on the health care front, I'm not talking about prevention, I'm talking about health care, is that an agenda that I deliberately wrote in my tribute to Bert Tucker is that we were working on a plan to create an all-weather tower so that the hospital will not have to evacuate in the event of a major hurricane. That is a tangible agenda how we pursue that. So what we do is that we mention this to our leaders that we want to find the money and the grant. And I couldn't tell you where to go because he was dealing, Bert Tucker was dealing with the Venezuelans. You have people like the Arab Fund. Mm-hmm. You have the Arabs who don't know what to do. Some of them don't know what to do with their money. I'm not disrespecting them. But we have the Qataris, the Kuwaitis that we've dealt with. These people can give us, you know, a hospital tower. But we have to be willing to deal with those people, and we have to be willing to, 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 to make it happen. So here am yeah. I telling you that, you know, we have some very tangible things. Now, one of the things is that needs to happen to help the KHMH is that they need, they need to establish a faculty of medical education at the university. Every hospital has to have a university so that then doctors, when they go back home, then continue to get formal education so that they could keep in touch and so that they know where they do. Entiende? You understand? Yes, yes, yes. So mm-hmm, right now, mm-hmm, if you don't want doctor, you come from Cuba. Make I tell you a little thing. I'm not disrespecting them because my niece was in Cuba and you have to take advantage of opportunities. And, you know, we thank Cuba for helping us out. But the fact is that most of our medical students, 150 of them presumably are there right now, you know, Cuba is no internet country, right? You understand? And many of them, they, not, they have very little practical experience. And any doctor, for that matter, when you just train and come back, you don't have the experience. Well, what we need, we have doctors trained from all kinds of places. Some are Cuba, some are Guatemala, a few from the Caribbean, some are Mexico, some are from India, some are from... And everybody to do their own thing. And everybody believes that they think correct. So what... If you have Harvard Med University, or, or if you have the Brigham and Women or Mass General Hospital, they have their university, the Harvard Medical School, which is the medical school for Harvard University. The, the hospital in the Caribbean, they have, you know, the University of the West Indies. There's a reason for that, okay? So this is a very tangible thing so that the doctors from PG, not South, East, and West, that they have somebody where they look out for their education and make sure that they get their education so that they could do a better job of looking after people. What we need, we need some practical telemedicine network. You see the same network I did tell you is that right now, if you go down to Punta Gorda, right now as I speak, you can't get an ultrasound. You're not a pregnant woman. You can't get an ultrasound mm-hmm. right now. Hello? 
You see this little device? I took my little device down in, in September in, in Punta Gorda. And I examine a number of patients and their hearts. But you know what we need to do? We need to have a network of these things to connect up so that regardless of what village you live in, even where they don't have any electricity, you have diagnostics that cost less than $10,000 that can be quickly, you know, connected through satellite or through Wi-Fi or through the telephone networks to either the major hospital or even abroad to help you with diagnostics. They need to be on every ambulance and those kind of stuff like that. So um, having the university involved in what happens at Orange Walk Hospital, KHMH, Dung in Punta Gorda, etc., and having those doctors rather than them being on their own to do their own thing, and many of them are inexperienced, that is critical you know, for the health care that is provided in, 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 in the people in this country, right? And so I believe that, that at, the, at, 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 the, at the medical front, they need to be, take some decision. Now, you want to tell me that we can't get a urologist, have Belizeans actively being trained in that area, or, and in the interim, have our partners being based on the ground in Belize City to look after them? And you know what is what list? You know what is so horrible, yeah. Bert? Is that most of our politicians are men. And we men the dead up. And we, we don't even have pity for our own self. You understand? All of it are men. Half of the country are men. We need to let them deal with our agenda. That we need more doctors who are urologists. We had one, Neil Garbutt. He was prevented from working at the hospital by the little mafia that prevented him from working at the KHMH. You know, but, but what I'm trying to say is that mm-hmm. these are practical things that affect you right to power your live, right to power your death or your relatives. And these are things that we need in small steps to advocate for things. And not like just people that complain because they have a mouth. I mean, yes, you have a freedom mm-hmm. of speech and what have you, and that is good. But we need to set things to fruition. I mean, with all due respect to the people who, the fight against politicians who, they accuse of corruption and what have you. To me, I would prefer to run with some of their agenda right away to talk about. When you say the mafia, I'm assuming you're talking about people who will sabotage good initiatives, right? I'm talking about the idea well, you talk about some, No, no, no. Neil Garbutt, can I tell you, Neil Garbutt was Belize's first, one of our Belize's first trained neurologists, and he was trained in the States. But there was a local medical mm-hmm. mafia that didn't want Neil Garbutt to work at the KHMH. He was a urologist. He was a foreigner in his own land. And then, you know, he was a fiercely independent man, so he never really put up with any foolishness, and he just practiced on the sideline. But the mafia, what the mafia did was badmouth him and say, he's not this, he's not that. I don't know if you get where I'm coming. This is the part that I really... I get what you're saying. Again, the gatekeepers who who don't want to see, they, they want to sabotage good initiatives that, 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 that are, you know, in other words... Let's put it like, let me be very practical, right? We had a local entity that wanted to do cardiac catheterization or supposedly started it, right? And they were putting themselves up as to be mm-hmm. the people. They wrote me a letter, right, from the medical council by the person who is partner in this institute telling me that I had to put myself up 
By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm registered as a specialist in the United States, but I can't be registered as a specialist in Belize, just to let you know. I was director of medical services at the KHMH. I pioneered a number of things. I have three specialties, just for the record, but I'm not registered as a specialist in Belize, okay? Because you have a, a, a cabal, you have a, a clique, you have a little small mind, people with connections and, and, and in their own little worlds. I use these words deliberately because they're true, you know? They accosted me. They even came to the KHMA to try to harass me to meet with them. I told them, my brother, guys, I don't answer to you. You know what? I told them we, needed, we had more important issues to deal with. But you get where I'm coming from. That's what I mean by the medical yes, masses. Yes, yes, yes. People who have small minds, yes. small agendas, and who want to maintain the status quo. But, you know, the, the truth is they can't stop anything. If people are smart enough, right, and if people are organized enough, a positive agenda always pulls through. Because what I realize, negative agendas have no solutions. They propose nothing. They just want to maintain the status quo. That's why I tell you is that what we have to do is to advocate for tangible stuff. We need to advocate for dual carriageway between Corosol and Belize City and between Belize City and Bamapan. I personally am an outsider, but I think mm -hmm. it's as simply as asking the Mexicans and making the decision that with people in the dead up on the highway, right, we have highway no lighted, you go right to Chetumal, that like night and day, you come across to Belize, and it is shameful. We don't have no shame. We can't say, here what? Mm. You know? I mean, there are most yeah. of people who yeah. slaughtered on the highway, head-on collision. That's what kills people, these head-on collisions. Yeah. And, they, of course, the reckless driving and just, you know? So, but these are things that we need I, today. I, I just don't know what you're saying. And so if we advocate this, it becomes a political agenda, and you force the politicians, you, you drive the agenda rather than the politicians set the agenda. But not only that, yeah. you want tentative it, steps to make sure these things happen. And there are ways I would want to see the pressure group do this rather than being fodder for, you know, any local little politics. Because, you know, I hate to say, one of the sad things about people in Belize, right, is that, Desperate people do desperate things. So if you don't have no job, you have to put food on the table and send them pic picnic to school. You know, you, you'll find yourself getting caught in a survival mode and you'll end up being invariably further for somebody's agenda. And so if somebody has a political agenda, they will hijack, you know, a pressure group, you know, just to look after their issues. I mean, put food on the table and send them picnic to school. And so what you find happening is that a lot of the noise that is being made leaves us just the way we were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But those are two tangible issues that I mentioned that, that we need, that, that they kill away, the roads and the hospital. And yeah, those we yeah. could start. I, I see we have other big agendas regarding the education of our people and the role of UB and those things there. You know? You know, I, you know what I identified, and I'm saying it out in the open, right? Because um, Belize has a lot of people in academia, and they could help that national university. But, you know, we have to overcome that, that um, narrow mind uh, mi mindset where... 
we're not living in the dark ages anymore. And this is one critical place that the diaspora can get involved in mentoring both faculty and students, you know, and have that university do what it's supposed to do. Bert? Yes. You there? Yes, but please. You know one of the believe the famous yeah, yeah. for is Mayan archaeology, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know that we have Minnesota, people in Minnesota, they have big, literally multi-million dollar exhibition with Belize stuff. Do you know, let me show you how shameful things are in Belize. Do you know that the UB does not have a faculty of archaeology or anything about the Maya? And do you know that a private university, they collect like 10,000 US dollars per semester per American European students on Belize's archaeology? And you be, you know, they make one penny, one dime from Belize archaeology, and then they complain about they don't have enough money. You know, you be could be the center where rich Mexicans, Guatemalans, and people who want to learn English from all over the world could have immersion. Or marine is world class. You know, we're in a time when there's an online education, which is a big deal. If you have students who just be there, you could just have a few dozen or a few hundred maximum. And online education. What, what I'm trying to say is that there are lots of things, practical things. I'm not, because one of the things that we need to also do is that when we find agendas, we have to pin them on the bulletin board, to-do list. Because that's how we are moving forward yeah. on the to-do list. And not, I don't live my that. life in crisis mode anymore. You have to plan. Mm-hmm. As they say, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Of course, the mm-hmm. Most High has the last word, but the point is you'll stop, you'll reach a stage where, yes, we have the talkers, but the talkers have to connect up with the doers, and collectively, we can get their hands dirty. So, this, we're dealing with a survival issue. There are a number of things. And, and even when it comes with you, you may not know this, Bert, but Belize has about 300 square kilometers of granite means that we could be mining granite for a thousand years. Granite is the second hardest mm-hmm. stone after diamond. Natural stone. Yeah, granite. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. I had started uh, a company called Belize Clay Products Limited and Belize Granites. Because back in that time when I just came back from university, I was also in Trinidad where they made bricks out of, um, you know, clay. You know? And the point is about 17% of Belize's soils all the way from here to, to you go up to, you know, mile 30s and so forth. Once you, all that Pine Ridge country is clay. It's clay because, you know, big tall trees can't penetrate that thick clay. And so you have the Pine Ridge and the so, soil is acidic. Back then we did not have any oil or bunker, so it was expensive. And my point is, even from a national industry, even getting them boys to work and learn a new skill, you know, you talk about those crimes, there are a lot of practical ways. The devil finds work for idle hands, right? There are a lot of practical ways rather than maybe just the infrastructure products and so forth that can bring new skill. And beliefs have stuff that can make money. You know, I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I, I can tell you I, I, I spent about $100,000, believe, just to try to do all the technical work and the specs to get a clay plant on the ground. No, I'm a doctor, but for me... I found that I had wished more of my engineer friends that when they came back, that they came back, you know, also to 
to see how we can improve on the stuff that we do back home. And there was one guy who is not a university or engineer. He's at mile 31, Rochelle Bevans. Right now he's making bricks the old-fashioned way. He has an extruder and he's burning them with wood. But those are things that, in a very practical way, you know, is a new skill, could save money. And you know why that was important, Bert? Bert? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know why I think the clay stuff was important? Because every block we make, every cement block, we import the cement that goes into the block. And with clay, it is 100% local raw materials. They're just, they're just clay and sand mixed, but you burn it in a clay. And please have clay that if it's mining it for now, it, a thousand years, it will still have clay. You understand what I'm trying to say? So we have a lot of things. A lot of practical things to do. Believe me, workers, right? But we need visionaries. We need people who have lived and know how to do things, seen things done, and together we collectively say, you know what? We want to move the country forward. And I tell you, a lot of things too, you, we can't get away from this. It, it boils down to a lot of things called money. You know, I am... Um, Business is critical, and all people historically have not been taught or trained to do business. But everything about Barcel, you know, you know that? Yeah, well, we need to develop local industries, and I think that's one of the things that, you, uh, that you're discussing, and I, that's been the bane of our underdevelopment, because we tend to, we, 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 we import 98% of what we consume, and we don't produce anything. Local industries, like you're saying, like the granite. Um, another thing that, that, that's really uh, common around here is the limestone, calcium carbonate. That's just there where you can use, what we call it, white mouth. That's another industry that you can use that could also be used in the making of the cement, the cement and things. So, yep, absolutely. Uh, so absolutely. Much, there's, that's the, there's so much things that we could, uh, that, that can be done, but we, we, like, like, like you said, the vision... And, and, and practical stuff, because, for example, white mall is common all over Belize. I mean, if you go anywhere in the country, you go to see white mall. I've seen it all over. But something like that to create an industry where, where, you can, where you can have natural resources, where you don't have to import these things. But we have this mercantile, again, you know, the mafia and the mercantile class too, that wants to keep that status quo that way. So that we, that's why our country is permanently underdeveloped. We have an economy, an, uh, uh, economy in a perpetual state of disrepair because we, you know, we will continue to go towards the foreign donors and the foreign lenders, and you know, we, you know, we pass that, pass this debt back onto a society. And we don't do anything. We need local industries, and it can be done if we have the vision and we have the will, the political will to get it done. But it's not, it's not, it's not in a vacuum. Really, what you're saying is not in a vacuum. And some and some local industries, some local industries is as simple as something that you could do at home. You know, I I, I had a guy he had started making. Hello. Yeah, I had this guy yeah, he had yeah. started. You know the you know the big blackberry tree that all them berries that we make berries wine from. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those that that can be a. You know, it's one of the commonest trees around Belize City. It literally grows wild around the Belize country. You know, and what I'm saying is that we're dealing with the whole area of health foods and antioxidants and those things. But all it requires is somebody who is determined enough 
right, to make a decision that this is something that they want to do. And you can deal with many other things, you know. You, you have, if you travel around Belize, you see one of the commonest trees that you travel around is called the kuhun, you know. And it's more than just mm-hmm. making oil. You know, the amount of stuff that could be made out of it. So, but, you know, I'll tell you, you know, for, for me, you know, we're throwing these things out. But if we're serious, you know, again, entrepreneurship starts in all kind of settings. You know, it starts as a simple person making a Johnny cake, right? You know, that is an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Food is, is, is a business that will never go away because as long as you live, you have to be eating. Um, at one time, believe... Yeah, at one time, believe, especially in Belize City, had relinquished, you know, their, their, their food to the Chinese, right? But uh, it's a good thing to see, you know, small vendors, people making their own food at home and selling them on the street corner. That's, that's something that's really positive. You know, I really take my hats off to them. Um, yes, but, I do too. But, but, but I tell you, people will have to be organized because, sadly, the, the salvation of belief does not rest in politics. It will really rest in the people who will have to be wise enough, enlightened enough to recognize that there are things that we need to do that you don't have to be hostage, you know. But a lot of things take work, you know. You know, part of the problem, Bert, yeah. is that generally people won't work unless they have to. You know, believe our enjoyment culture, believe our entertainment culture, right? And not, you, not many of our people, you know, people historically have been taught to look for a job. And hey, that's okay. We'll always need people for jobs, but you and I know that's not... That's, the Mennonites did not come to believe to look for a job, you know. The Chinese did yeah, not come to believe to look for a job. Neither did the Indians, and neither did many of those folks. What they saw was opportunity. And as I said, you know, why is it? They saw a need in the you know, country. I have a nephew train in Cuba. Do you know right now? Hello? Do you know right now yeah, that yeah. the prison is actually selling chicken to the Chinese? The same prison that over there, um, you talk about the one in the prison. I'm telling you, the figure from my nephew is in charge of the agriculture kind of stuff is that they were producing, I think, in excess of 20,000 pounds of chicken a month up at the prison. That's excellent. Then they grow their vegetables, then they catch their fish, then grow their stuff, then, then they sell casket now, you know, right? And, and all those lot of practical things. And so, to me, well, even I mean, in an institution like that. We need, I, I think one of the things, Bernard, that I, in, in, you know, I mean, we don't have a lot of time left. We have, like, maybe less than five or six minutes left, but start wrapping it up. Because you will, I want to have to bring yeah. you on again, brother, when I'm back in the state. Because that way, you know, because the conversation is too powerful to just have it just, you know, relegated to, you know. And, but um, let me just say this, that. You're, 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 one, one, of the things that, one, one of the things that I always knew about you is that your vision transcends just what you're doing. In other words, yes, you're a medical doctor, and that's all well and good, but your focus is, 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 is your consciousness is not just on, 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 on 
you're a humanist first and before you're a doctor, man. That's what I always know about you. And as a humanist, you always are looking out for how you can help your fellow man. You've always been like that. And I think we need more people who can. And Bert Tucker was like that. Yes, he was a brilliant economist. Yes, he, you know, he worked with all some of the you know, top areas in Africa and the rest of the country, but he, uh, he was a humanist first and foremost. And I think that's, one of, that's, that's the kind of way I try to pattern myself, to be a humanist, because uh, yeah. where you don't pigeonhole yourself into just one area. Because, yeah, you, we, we could, yes, we know there's a lot of problems with the healthcare system. Yes, we know there's a myriad of issues that, that, that can be improved. But, but as a humanist, we're touching issues that, that transcend whether it's a PUP or UDP, we're looking at national development of our country, that country allegiance as opposed to party allegiance or allegiance of a particular few. How can we move this country to sustainable economic sustainable development, economic development and long-term planning? That's what that's Together. My short answer is that we have to do it together. And if anybody, uh, someone asked me once, Bernard, how you have done so much in academia and and, and, and medical education and so forth. I said, you know, I never, I am not an academic. I don't, I didn't set forth to become an academic. You know what? I, I've always, and I'm thankful for being given this mind. You know what is my agenda? It is how can Bernard help? How can I help? And that's everywhere. That's how doors have opened for me. It's not by trying to be a taker. It is how can I help? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I haven't said it in this program, but by the grace of God, you know, I've done stuff that have never been done in the history of this institution or this country. I don't talk about it much, but, you know, after, after I leave this earth, you, you know, people are here. But my point is, all I've tried to do, I've been put on the face of the earth, given two hands, two feet, and a brain, and other things, and all I've tried to do is do the part that Bernard is supposed to do. You know, if I go to any place, mm-hmm. if I meet any person, I hope that that is my legacy. And, but for belief to move forward, we have to do it together. The problem is that we mm-hmm. box out one another, we hate one another, we fight against one another, and that's why things don't get done. Because the things that I say here, the things that you have, and the things that we all have collectively, if we say we want to build a country, then we're going to get together and build it. But the agenda of politicians and of yeah. you build a country that's a win election. You understand? Yeah. But people don't understand that. Mm-hmm. If the country builds, fine. But for many people, it's our turn to feed. But that's a very short-sighted thing. And I'll tell yes. people this. There's a thing, I mean, this is how I live my life. There's a thing called Judgment Day, Bert. And when you're in a position mm-hmm. to help people, and you end up the pimp people, you understand? That is wrong. Mm-hmm. It is and that's why we don't move forward because if we like, you know, if we care for one another, we are listen to one another. We are try to help one another. We don't only disrespect one another. We don't use one another. We don't only marginalize one another. The diaspora here wants to get involved, but the way the system is structured, that your own yeah. people, the very people you try to help, will end up they hate you because they've been taught. Yeah. Yeah. That's how people have been taught, and sadly, you know. We are living in a world where there is a competition for the mind. Everything is fighting for some of your attention. And sadly, many people are just willing to believe whatever they hear. But I, I believe, you know one thing I know, Bert? You can't build a solid building for a shaky foundation. 
And all they ain't like a lightweight agenda, they will come and they will disappear. And that that is what comforts me because you could only like, you know, people, there comes a point in time if you study history, you, you can't fool all the people all of the time. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And Belize is a wealthy country. Mm-hmm. Belize, nobody smarter than you. Nobody better than you. But that's why God put the body. We have one hand, mouth, ears, foot, teeth, everything. But how they work? They work together. I deal with the cardiovascular system. The system, they're not just the heart, they work. They're the blood vessels, the arteries, the veins. If you cut out one and then, the system are broke down. You understand? Mm-hmm. And what we have as a country, mm-hmm. we are dismembering one another. That's why we cannibalize. That's the word I use, cannibalize one another. Because much of what I said, I don't know a new one. idea. Because it means that we are dead. Yeah. At many yeah. different levels, That's we cannibalize one another. I left believe me, think I, I think I'm a relatively average or stupid. I may think people from Jamaica, Trinidad, better than me. I can say by the grace of God, I'm the best at what I do in the world. You understand? We only have to cut you short because we're out of time, my brother. We're literally out of time. Um, I, uh, I, I, we're out of time. Time, time is upon us. But let me just say, I, will, uh, I want to bring you on again. So just uh, have your information. You know, in Massachusetts, I'm in California. So I'm talking to you. You, you were listening to Dr. Bernard, who was one of the brilliant minds in our country. I mean, with bar none, unquestionably, and it just goes to show. Um, it's a cool honor that the are humble and caring, and caring. But they have thought the worst of the politics. They prevent any possible politics as relates to anything in the country. I want to leave my audience with this. I want to thank Dr. Bernard for coming on. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. God bless. God bless. Bernardo, respect. Talk another time, my brother. Thank you for the chat, Bert. Appreciate it. Respect. Right. Thanks for the Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, Belizeans, you just heard Dr. Bernabova. Do the right thing. Have a wonderful weekend. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the desk. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.